Teens Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say queens rule, but they don't. Queens lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. They're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queens Lead Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm Amy Singleton, and we are very excited to have Nicole Hess with us here today. She's the owner of Wonder World Marketing and has quite an interesting story. Welcome, Nicole. So great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited for this conversation. So um, dig right in. Tell us, who is Nicole? <laughs> well, I'm a mouthy bartender turned mouthy millionaire in my very first 13 months on the online spectrum. Um, but really, I mean, I'm a unicorn. That's that's who I am. It's like I've just kind of always felt that feeling like of like not really belonging. Um, I had like kind of the running joke that I was a unicorn <laughs> stuck in a human's body. Like if you've seen yeah. the last unicorn, it's like I can feel it dying all around me. Um <laughs> So I've always kind of had that like outsider feel to everything. And I mean, come to find out is just square peg round hole, right? Like I was just yeah. in the wrong place at the wrong time, like my whole life um, until I wasn't. And then in creating this business, it's not just the money, like it's the people, right? Of like finding the people that I feel like I belong with and being in that space of, you know, actually feeling connected to the human race yeah. or the human experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that takes so many of us, like, you know, I think we're all still in various stages of figuring that out. Um, I love that you said Malvi because that's been a, what I, what I previously thought was, it was a detriment, but now I'm beginning to embrace that, <laughs> that part of myself. So um, tell us where you started and how you got from Malvi bartender to Mal Malvi millionaire. Well, I was a bartender. Um, one of those kind of situations where I was supposed to be going to law school, you know, <laughs> <laughs> And much to That's my what mom and dad thought, maybe. Yeah, right. Much <laughs> yeah. to my mother's dismay, um, I met a boy, as you do. Um, and so I dropped out of all of the school things and I started bartending and I actually really fell in love with it. I had, I was a teen mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> so teen mom, all the things, but I fell in love with bartending because you know, as a bartender, you get to see people in their rawest, strangest form, right? Mm -hmm. It's like doctors and lawyers, but like when they're not doctors and lawyers. And so yeah. the site find it became very fascinating to me. Um, and I actually ended up being really great at bartending. I, uh, I was the president of the Bartenders Guild. I traveled all over the world, did international cocktail competitions, and I became a bar consultant for um, a billion dollar company when I was 24. Right. Nice. So um, I, I wasn't ever bad at it. Right. I was. Really you were bar rescue before bar rescue. I was. I mean, only, <laughs> only the bars that I rescued actually got saved. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was taking bars from doing like 15 grand a week to like 150 grand a week um, at wow. a very, a very young age. And, you know, kind of being in that like young, young, hot mom kind of feel. I mean, it was, it was a good old boys club and it was pretty challenging to work with men in that capacity. Um, but I rose to that occasion and I built up some pretty thick skin in the process, as I'm sure you could imagine. Uh, so that was really like the, the adventure piece of me coming into play. But, you know, as someone who was a mom, you know, working in the industry is tough. I mean, it's, it's 90 hour weeks and it's yeah. drinking all day, every day. Um, and I got to a point where I realized that regardless of the fact that I was good at what I did, I was absolutely miserable. I was, I was just mm. miserable and the depression and the anxiety, the agoraphobia, all of those pieces were coming in. And I mean, 
the world was just closing in around me and I, I couldn't find a footing. And so I really got into a lot of, uh, you know, kind of suicidal depression and, um, you know, the, the drugs, the drum, the rock and roll, like it was, it was pretty messy and it eventually tore my marriage apart. Um, you know, I had two kids and it was just, it was just a mess and I was really suffering for, for probably, you know, a good, almost 10 years of just really being in a very painful place. Um, and, it got to the point where I had that feeling that we all have, you know, of like, I can't do this anymore. Right. And, um, I decided to quit drinking and that decision just, I mean, it opened up so many di different doors and my whole life changed because in those moments, like I became a different person, you know, and in inviting different kinds of opportunities. Yeah. hundred percent. So how long has that been? Um, just over four years now. Okay. Okay. We are. That's interesting. It's same, same for me. Um, made that decision almost five years ago now. And yeah, it's been nothing but uphill since then. Um, so tell us about the transition from, you know, that depression and the job change and like what inspired you to start your own thing and how did you go from bartending to marketing? I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> I got fired from not one bar, but two bars. Um, and two bars that I was really successful working with. Um, and so they both fired me in the same month, which was really interesting because it was six months after I stopped drinking. And it was kind of one of those things, Amy, were like, I was doing some really not okay things like while I was drinking behind those bars, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you go and get sober and you do everything right. And then they fire you. It's like, right? Sense. I mean, I know now looking back that it, like that's the alignment piece, right? Is like you step into this next version of yourself um, and the world responds, you know, and maybe not in the ways that you think it's going to, right? Ooh, that's fired. a hot topic right there. <laughs> you get fired. And so that feeling of what do I do next? Well, I mean, I went, I went to Bali. <laughs> so <there> was, <laughs> that sounds like a good, yeah, that's, that's I mean, a good plan. It was good. I went to Bali, um, had an amazing experience in Bali. And then when I came back, like everything started to shift. Um, I, I met my husband three weeks later, we were engaged five months after that. Um, I finished up my last consulting contract that I had with, with a bar. And then I, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with this? And so then the plan started to come in to open a bar. And so we bought a property, we were moving forward with everything. Um, and the city was just coming in with like, you know, red tape, red tape, red tape. Like I couldn't yep. get through anything, mm -hmm. but guess what happened? COVID. Right. Uh -huh. And so I actually didn't get my last set of permits and had I gotten it, had I got them. And if they did go through, then I would have opened a bar 30 days before COVID hit. Oh my gosh. Are you not so grateful for every barrier that was thrown in your way that you were cussing at that time? Yes. Like I can imagine how mad you were at all of those obstacles, but here comes the universe serving up a nice plate of wonderful for you. Yeah. And it was like, just, just hold on. Right. And I was, yep. I, I was furious. I was mad. And like, everything was like, felt like nothing was working, but I mean, it really was because when I hit that wall, the COVID wall came in, we ended up selling the building. We got out from underneath everything. We sold the building for a profit. Um, and then it was this thing of like, well now, now what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I fell into a Facebook ad funnel long before I knew what a Facebook ad funnel was, by the way. <laughs> As many of us do or have <laughs> you know, clicked right through that thing. And I actually ended up purchasing an online program that was going to teach me how to run Facebook ads. Um, mm -hmm. And it turns out that I am not very good at running Facebook. Ads. <laughs> One more barrier, but you know what I was good at? I was getting clients for Facebook. Ads. 
clients, right? So I got 10 high ticket clients in my first six weeks doing this. And the coach inside of that program pulled me aside and he said, how did you do this? Like, how did, like, nobody does this. How did you do this? And so I showed him my process for getting clients, which was the same process that I used in bartender land to help bartenders build up their bar followings. Mm -hmm. And so I showed him the content strategy. I showed him all the things. And he was like, do you think you could teach this to other people? And I was like, I mean, I've been teaching it to bartenders for 10, 15 years. Yes, I could teach it to other people. And he said, will you teach it to some of these old men that helped you put the pixel on these things for these clients? And I was like, yes. And so I taught it to them. And then those little old men, they got clients, right? And so then that coach swooped me up. He said, I'm going to start a beta program. You're going to be my beta, beta student. I want you to build this thing out. I'm going to teach you how to do the basics of what it means to be an online coach. Cause I didn't know what that was. And he was like, let's do this. I was like, okay. So I went all in on it, opened my Facebook group. Um, and within the first, I don't know, 90 days I'd made hundred K and you know, made seven figures in the first year. Wow. Wow. So your coaching program on Facebook teaches people to market themselves? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's marketing to a certain extent, right? It's an expansion of marketing with the energetics. We focus on energetically aligned social selling strategies, um, basically taking your personal page and then developing that into something where people are reaching out to you. You're not reaching out to them. It's not cold outreach. It's not setters, like any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's creating content that sparks an interest where people reach out to you. And then you push them through a sales process that is really easy and very colloquial and very bartender-y, um, getting to know people in their deepest, darkest secrets, um, and then helping them to build out that client base so that they have consistent revenue coming in, just like I was doing for bartenders. Wow. Wow. So who, who is the group a good fit for? What are the types of clients that you're helping? Well, you have to be mouthy for sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, because I am definitely not for the faint of heart at all. Um, I'm fast talking. I am very raw. I am very honest. Um, brutally transparent is, is kind of how it goes. So I'm definitely not for the faint of heart when it comes to, you know, traditional marketing styles. Um, it is, it is pretty raw. There's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of swearing. It's like a, it's like a sail sailors, sailors paradise in there. Right. Um, nice. I'm, a I'm a bartender who was raised by truckers. I can't help it. So right? um, <laughs> there's a lot of that energy yeah. in there. But, you know, the Facebook group is really ideal for people who want to come in and really do real attraction marketing, not the people that are saying attraction marketing and then go send 30 to 50 DMs today, right? This is going to help you to focus really on developing your voice, your sense of self and creating the kind of content that is a little bit polarizing, right? A little bit on that edge that taps you into the prolific zone that gets clients to reach out to you who are ready for like high ticket investment and people who are ready to buy now. Um, one of the things that we really stand against inside of all of my, and inside of all of my energy really is we don't do any pain point marketing. So we don't use any of the twist the knife pain point style that is so common. Um, no narcissistic abuse style marketing in my world. So it's really for people who, um, who value transparency and who are not interested in hurting people to get them to make them buy their thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are, are the majority of the members selling a similar, like a coaching type program? Um, I actually built the program um, in with bartenders in mind. So it's really something where it's any service provider. So I have a lot of people that are like, you know, say they're great therapists, right? And they want to, they want to have more clients in person. We have those kind of people. We have lots of coaches. We have lots of service providers, lots of people that are, um, you know, web developers or uh, branding professionals doing done for you services. Um, this even works for MLMs. So it's really people that are in the spectrum. Anyone who wants to sell something online, but wants to do it transparently. Nice. Okay. Wow. Well, go back to, um, I think a lot of 
our guests deal with what you referred to earlier as that good old boys club. Can you speak a little bit to that and kind of how you've, you broke through that in the beginning? And, and I mean, obviously now you're in a completely different mindset for, but for those who have not really arrived there yet, um, what can you speak on to that? You know, I was somebody who predominantly worked with men, like my whole life, right? I've worked with mm-hmm. men. I have a very masculine energy style of delivery. So it feels good to work with men. And, you know, I don't love all men, <laughs> right? But there is that sweet spot. Um, little old men are my favorite, right? And so a lot of my consulting contracts when in bartender land were men. Um, and so I was very comfortable in this space. And so when my, this coach who took me under my, his wing and was like, telling me, like, you got to build up this coaching thing, he told me, he was like, you need to niche down to women. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not going to work for me. <laughs> like, no, like I, I'm good on all of that. And I was really resistant to it. I mean, I know that a lot of us have these kind of, you know, terrible stories about women when we were younger and like, you know, being stabbed in the back and all of that. And I have all of those stories. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really... I've never really connected with women. And so I was very, very resistant to this. And he sat me down and he said, Nicole, he said, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be successful? And I said, well, I want to be both. (laughs) I want to, why can't I have both? (laughs) Yeah. Like you're not right on this. And he's like, if you don't listen to me on this, I understand it's your choice. He's like, but this is going to be a crazy uphill battle for you. If you don't niche down to women, because you're going to have to break into the male marketing spectrum to get male clients. And that means competing with the good old boys. He's like, it's just not a good idea. And he said, it won't work. And I was like, okay. And so I was very resistant, but I had promised, I invested a lot of money and I had promised that I was going to be coachable, which has not always been my strong suit. <laughs> I am much more coachable <laughs> now than I was a couple of years ago. And so I had that kind of mindset where I didn't, I didn't want to work with women, you know? Um, but I listened, I, you know, put my pride aside for a minute and I listened to somebody who had 15 years of experience doing this. Um, and mm-hmm. I did what he said and I niched down to women and it was the best decision that I ever made. Right. Um, being in that space of choosing to work with women, I mean, not only helped me to build a wildly successful business, but also helped me to heal that part of me that hated women. Right. And mm-hmm. really when I was saying those words of like, I hate women. Like I am a woman. So that is like self-sabotage, right? To say yes. I hate women when you are a woman. Um, right. And I didn't see that connection mm-hmm. until, you know, I really started to work with women who are amazing and really feeling into that thing. I was like, oh, I don't hate women. I hate people who are assholes. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> that's a totally different conversation <laughs> totally different now. Part, right? Yeah. And so really looking at the good old boys club was understanding where I was in the, what role I was playing in that club of like mm-hmm. radical responsibility. I mean, it was very difficult to be a 24 year old. I mean, you know, I, I looked great, I looked great, you know, 24 years old and hot. And in that space, no one took me seriously ever. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was very challenging to have to prove myself all the time. Um, and at that time it was very frustrating, but like looking back on that, because I had the skill sets of learning to be extremely articulate, um, learning how to really play in the big boys field and to play with big players who were making lots of money. I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my consulting contracts were with billionaires. So I was surrounded by these types of people. And so it created a different kind of bridge in my mind. Right. And I can choose to, you know, be mad about all of those things that were totally not fair and absolute trash, um, to be in that space of, you know, being, put in your place as a woman and people telling you that you'd be a whole lot prettier if you smiled, like I can be resentful about that. Or I can realize that that is what made me who I am today, right? Having to deal with the good old boys club has made it so that when I walk into a room now being who I am, I can step up to coaches that are making, you know, millions of dollars. And I don't bat an eye at that because I'm not some scared little girl. 
right? So everything serves in one way and limits in another. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I started my career in nursing and in cardiothoracic surgery, no less. So like top dog heart surgeons, like you won't find someone with a bigger ego than heart and neurosurgeons. And that's who I worked with. So yeah, I've seen Grey's Anatomy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different world. And back then, you know, I weighed almost 300 pounds. So like, it was not even, I was not even in the place where I was like, good looking. I was just aggressive according to them. You know, now you're not assertive, you're aggressive, you know, and, and that whole time growing up, I mean, as a girl, as a young girl, were you, did you grow up obviously mouthy being told you're too loud, Nicole, your voice carries, honey, you know, you sit over there, be quiet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the label of aggressive, right? Um, it was it was in bartender land where me and my best friend who were running, I was president and she was the vice president of the bartenders guild and they called us aggressive. And like, we didn't have a voice at those meetings, right? It was very much like sit down, be seen and not, not heard. Um, mm-hmm. and that didn't go well with us, right? And so they started calling us like super aggressive. And so we made, we made t-shirts. We made t-shirts on them that said hashtag aggressive. Right. And like, wow. Moniker. And so it was like that thing that you create that defense mechanism inside of you and your skin gets really hard. And so that's more of that masculine energy coming to the forefront, which, you know, I'm serves right in the moment, but it is something that, you know, in doing the work that I've done in becoming this person, it's been able to shed that identity of aggressive, um, and replace that moniker with action taker, because that's what I am. I am an action taker. I take action. And that may feel aggressive to people who are not as much of an action taker as I am. And that's okay for them to feel that way, but it actually means absolutely nothing about me. Right. And being Mm. able to separate that kind of codependent need for people to approve of me. I mean, that's been a big part of what's been able to help me scale my business. Yeah. I can only imagine what, what is the, I mean, what was the first step toward that? Uh, I mean, it's, obviously a meandering road for all of us and figuring that out. But, but for someone stuck in that situation, what's, what's his first step to get out of that mindset? No one likes this answer. The first step to get out of that is radical responsibility and to stop blaming yes. the other person. Like, yes. Cause you want to blame the other person because the other person sucks, right? Like you want to blame them, but at the end of the day, you're the one allowing it. You're the one choosing it and you're the one responding to it the way that you are. And so until you can really own that, you're mm-hmm. just going to be chasing your tail, trying to get other people to change. And you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, I love personal responsibility is like my theme song for the last, you know, five, 10 years now at this point, because we don't always get to choose what happens to us, but we absolutely have a responsibility in how we respond to those things and not react to those things. So I love that you said that. Um, oh my gosh. Tell us a little bit about, um, you mentioned that you support a nonprofit called, uh, move her to life. It's called, uh, more to her life, more to her life. I'm sorry. I can't read my own writing. (laughs) <laughs> more to her life, um, is, is for women who have survived domestic violence. Um, but really this is a very special, you know, kind of like sub niche, right. As the sub niche identity of how this charity supports women is actually, um, you know, after they're out, right. After they're out and they're in that space where so many women go back, right. So many women mm-hmm. go back to the same man or one just like him, right. Just like him, mm-hmm. <laughs> same, like the twin, Um, I mean, I know that was totally my story, right? Um, I kept choosing all of these terrible men over and over and over again. And again, radical responsibility. They sucked, but that was my fault. 
I chose that, right? I kept mm. choosing that. Why? Because I didn't own my own worth because I didn't feel like I was worthy of being treated better than that. And so this charity really focuses on the psycho, the, the psychoanalytical piece of rebuilding your sense of self into someone who would never who would never tolerate that kind of behavior. And so in this, we're helping them to feel that feeling of worth, um, to see that they are worthy of more. And that's why we call it that, right? It's more to her life is like, this is mm. not your story. Like that one relationship that I had that, you know, I mean, makes for good TV drama <laughs> is not who I am, right? Yeah. I am not a victim. I am not a survivor. I am something that is completely not identified by this one bad relationship choice that I made. And so it's helping women to build that bridge between identifying with that for the rest of their lives and actually building an identity that is them, not just a reflection or a response or a reaction to that one relationship in their life. Wow. That's incredible. Um, and this is an, is it there locally where you live? Um, actually it's international. So uh, I started nice. this with one of my clients who is in the UK, right? Oh, wow. Um, she, she started everything on, on her side of things and I am on the board of trustees for this. And so um, it predominantly started out in the UK, but we have worked with women's shelters um, in the US as well. Wow. That's incredible. So I'm assuming there wasn't a service like this when you were in that situation. Well, if there was, I definitely didn't know about it. Right. I mean, awareness is such a key thing. And I also feel like for me, like, I was really resistant to help. <laughs> you know, I was. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't want to be labeled that way. I didn't want to be someone that other people felt sorry for or pitied. Um, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I was in a very self-deprecating space, I also had a lot of pride. And so I wasn't really willing to receive the support that I needed. Um, and I, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that is a testament to the fact that, you know, if you go to a woman's shelter, if you go to one of these places, they treat you a certain way you know, and there's like, and they're helping and it's better than where you were before, yeah. but is it the highest and best solution? Not in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you were kind of left figuring it out on your own where, and now you have this beautiful thing to offer other people. I love that. Now, I mean, to the average listener, it may sound like you went from like point A to point B as an overnight success, but as an entrepreneur, I know that is absolutely not the way it was from your perspective. So tell us about some of the challenges you faced as you were building this business and doing something completely radically different than ever before. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I tell my clients all the time is that it doesn't take time. It takes intention, but it takes a lot of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it may look like from an outside perspective that this was really quick. And I mean, it, I mean, in a lot of a lot of parameters. It was, you know, 13 mm -hmm. months is very fast to build a seven figure business, mm -hmm. but what it actually took in order for that to happen was a lot of change, massive amounts of change of becoming this next version of me and letting go of a lot of the old identity patterns. And the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people build a seven figure business in five, seven, 10 years. Right. And they mm -hmm. build those things out. And that's because they're letting go of a little piece of themselves, you know, kind of along with the holiday season. Right? It's like, yeah. new, new you. And right. so you let go of a little bit at a time. I let go of a lot of it at a lot of times. Right. And so it was like, every time I hit that wall of like, this is not the kind of person that would have these results. 
it was a lot of self-examination, which of course was horribly painful. I mean, to look at yourself in that kind of brutal honesty and say like, okay, this behavior pattern is no longer serving you. Like, um, you know, the booze not helping, right? You drinking all the time doesn't lead Mm -hmm. to you being productive because realistically, I mean, even when you're drinking lightly, uh, which I never did, by the way, (laughs) I was very committed. I was very good at drinking. (laughs) Me too. even when you're drinking lightly, you know, it's like, okay, the night you drink, that's gone. The day after, definitely gone. And the day after that, you're still fighting the fighting up the fog. So that's three days out of four, out of seven where you are not being as productive as you possibly could be. So you're literally giving up half your time. So it's going to take you twice as long to get results as it will for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then that's just drinking, but you start looking at other behavior patterns in your life, right? Like the way you eat, right. Or the way you sleep or the person you're sleeping next to. I had to let go of a lot of those things because I had a lot of really bad habits. And so, you know, drinking was just the tip of the iceberg because really the drinking was just a symptom. It wasn't the actual Mm -hmm. problem, right? Yeah. It was the symptom of the anxiety, like that piece of where I felt like I hated myself all the time and like choosing all of those intrusive thoughts over and over and over again. Like, I mean, I spent over a decade just telling myself I wasn't good enough and that I was worthless and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Changing the way you think at every single moment. I mean, we have like, what is it? Like 80,000 thoughts a day or something. Like yeah. <laughs> changing all 80,000 of those is a lot yeah. of work, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very challenging. There were definitely days where, you know, I, I realized it, like you see it and then you like, can't unknow it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh my God, I'm doing this terrible thing to myself again and again and again. So I realized that the abuse that I was calling in through relationships really had nothing to do with them. It was me, right? Mm-hmm. I was the abuser. I was the person abusing myself. And so I was attracting more of the same in that. And so really the biggest challenge in all of this was, I mean, to stop being an abuser. Like, I mean, it's a weird thing to say to someone who is mm-hmm. quote unquote, the victim of these situations. Yeah. That's not really how it is. I was the one that was the abuser. And so I had to rewire and become a completely different person. Um, you know, just like anybody would have to go through reba- rehab or, you know, mountains of mountains of uh, therapy to stop doing some invasive behavior. My invasive yeah. behavior was abusing myself. Mm-hmm. Did you have a therapist or a counselor or a mentor that helped guide you through this? Or did it all just come from your own self-reflection? You know, I didn't, I had, I had a therapist when I was younger, like the only therapist that I will be like, this is the, this was good. Right. Like yeah. and I was, I was like 22 and I was in an abusive relationship that I wouldn't leave by the way. <laughs> right. And so I had this therapist, um, that kind of like planted those seeds and mm-hmm. like, I choose to believe in that like ripple effect. Right. And so yeah. it's like, even though at the time she totally couldn't help me because I was unhelpable, right? Like I I was like going to therapy, but I wasn't listening. I wasn't implementing. I wasn't doing what she said. But a decade later, all of those words that she had given me were seeds that had planted, you know, and grown and Mm -hmm. like came to fruition at some point. And so a lot of the words that she gave me at that point in my life circled back around. And so it looks a lot like self-reflection, but you know, I'm the first one to say no one has ever self-made, right? No Mm -hmm. one is. Um, And so really tapping in for me, tapping into collective energy and collective knowing is what I used as therapy. I believe that we all have the answers. It's just that we're pretty resistant to looking at them, right? Right? Um, Or believing them, even when they're slapping us in the face, we don't want to believe them. Um, For me, that was, that was really the challenge was to learn to listen to what was already provided to me that I just, you know, had been ignoring for a decade. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So what the, the business mentor that brought you under his wing, would you say he was pretty instrumental in moving you forward to your, I mean, to where you are now with your mindset or just in business as well? Just believing in you. It sounded like he really believed in you more than even maybe you did yourself. You know, I mean, the thing about this, right. is like the right person shows up at the right time when you're Mm. willing to listen. And so, you know, I'm big on credit where credit is due. This -hmm. guy opened the door for me, right? Mm -hmm. He opened a door that I didn't know existed and I would not be anywhere where I am if he wouldn't have done that. And he reached out and picked me up. Like it wasn't this thing where like I was going to him, like he Mm -hmm. reached out to me and was in that space of like, Hey, you should think about this thing. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And so, you know, him opening that door and then helping me to see that, like, it was normal to walk through it. And like, lots of people do walk through it and it was going to be okay. Right. That was really what helped me the most from him. But also that, that feeling of like, for the first time in my life, like, I don't know about you, but I made my first million dollars on spite. You know, it was like this thing of proving people wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I always make this joke that I'm going to buy all of the bars in Reno and then I'm going to rename them. They're all going to be called. I told you so. (laughs) Yes. I love this. It's going to be me. Um, so I you're like Demi Lovato. Sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) Not sorry. Not sorry at all. (laughs) This was the first person that I wasn't like defying. I didn't have to defy him. You know, it wasn't about overcoming what he told me because he genuinely believed that I could do it. And so it was so weird, right? It was like kind of that like beaten dog syndrome where like somebody's giving you a treat and you're like, I might bite you. Like you might want to watch out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so it took me quite a bit of time to really be able to trust him and to believe that what he was saying was true and that he genuinely wanted to help me um, because that had never been my story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so becoming the person who stopped self-sabotaging also invited these opportunities to work with people who were not trying to sabotage me, you know, mm-hmm. which was so foreign. That's very foreign. Yeah. We're not, we're not used to someone just giving out of the generosity of their heart, but when you meet more people like that, you actually discover there's way more people like that then there are the shit bags of America. Like, you know what I mean? Like you get in this mindset when you're just surrounded by these negative people and negative energy all the time. And it's all a competition. Once you step into that circle of like, oh, more openness, more gratitude, more giving back, then you see, no, there are reciprocal beings here that want to actually genuinely help you so that you can help more. Yeah. And I mean, I just didn't know that. Right. It's like, you have confirmation bias because of your exposure. And so it's like, these are the only types of people that I saw. So it's like, I thought that those were the only types of people that existed, which was really just my small mindedness of like, not being able to see that there was more people out there and, you know, and opening this business, like, I mean, it's more often than not now, you know, I mean, I definitely have swung the other direction where I used to think that like, you know, 80% of the population was shit bags, but you know, really it's only 20%. But it's just who you surround yourself with and what you're exposed to and the belief patterns that you carry in your own mind that attract that. I mean, the truth of the matter was that I was kind of a shit bag. Yeah, right. Yeah. I needed to become somebody different to be able to be in a different room. Mm -hmm. So talk about that room. I know a lot of people, you know, you, the five people we surround ourselves with, how many times has that reiterated over these years? And, and what do you say to those who are outgrowing those circles? I will tell you, your friends that you've been drinking at the bar with for the last 10 years, 
will still be there anytime you want to go back to them. <laughs> I know exactly. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll still be there. And like that, that was a part of it for me of like the identity piece, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I am a, I am a bartender. I am the president of the bartender scale. This is who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And so changing the identity piece is what allows you to take different behavioral actions because if you don't change the identity, if you're still saying I am a bartender, I am the president of the bartender's guild, but I just don't drink now, but I just, you know, have a side business. Mm-hmm. You never actually become that version because you're still clinging to, I am a bartender. So being mm-hmm. able to let go of your, I am in your current circumstances is what allows you to become the person who naturally wakes up at four o'clock in the morning instead of goes to bed at four o'clock in the morning. Right. Right. <laughs> start to happen. Um, but those people, they will hold on to you because here's the thing you are a part of their identity of how they are reflected and seen inside of themselves. It's the people around us that create the reflection of who we are and how we behave. And so they don't want you to leave because that's like losing a little piece of their mirror. They don't mm-hmm. want that. They want to be able to see themselves in you. So they don't want you to leave. And that is really challenging. But as I said, they will still be there. Anytime I want to see my old friends, I can. They're all sitting at the same bar. They're all at Shay's. Right now, I mean, it's like noon. <laughs> it's noon. noon on a Tuesday. It's noon on a Tuesday. It's snowing outside. They are all at Shay's right now, still drinking. Hi, from last wow. night. And if I wanted to go see them at any time, they would be there and nothing would have changed. And when you walk back into that room that you used to be in, you're still going to be you to them, right? Even if you've completely changed. So it's okay for you to walk away because it's like a time warp. It's always there for you if you wanted to walk back. Nice. But obviously the ones you spend your time around now are a little different version of that, that bar group. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't spend my time with people who drink all day and do nothing and complain their entire lives away because that's not who I am. And quite honestly, it's, it's annoying, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's annoying to be around people who are in that space of not wanting to make more of themselves. Um, they're too slow. Their minds don't function right because they're drinking all the time. Like they're super annoying. Um, yeah. and so being, being around different people, I mean, it's, it's the choice that you make, right? I mean, obviously I, I spend a lot of time around my clients, um, who are all people who are in transformation, transformational energy and wanting to change their lives. Um, I spend time with my coaches who, you know, are all eight and nine figure earners. Um, I spend time with people that, you know, really want to make a better life for themselves. I mean, my husband is a big key factor of that. My team, big key factor of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, even my mother who is, you know, really, she's actually one of my clients now. And so like spending time with her, you know, it's like being in the space of people who, with people who are doing the same things as you. Um, but one of the things that I, you know, really kind of stand against is being in the, in the room with like-minded people. That's something that is, becomes very dangerous to growth. You know, it's not about being around people who believe the same things as you. It's around people that have the results that you want Mm-hmm. that don't believe the same things as you. They're mm-hmm. the people help you to stretch and challenge yourself to think differently. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, nothing breeds um, growth, like, uh, you know, discontent and disagreeing and learning from other people, like knowing that your way is not the only way, the only right way, learning more, even if you don't agree. Um, it's so valuable. So about the coach piece, we can hire a coach nowadays for literally anything. And I know I also have my fair share of coaches that I've hired, but who, what type of coaches um, have been the most instrumental for you? 
Well, at this point, um, I have predominantly worked with male coaches in mm -hmm. business spectrums. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been most of my choice with that. Um, I'm more comfortable with men than I am with women. That mm -hmm. is still something where in like mentorship roles, um, I, I trust men more than I trust women because at least with men, I can see it coming because they can't lie very well, right? <laughs> <laughs> so true. So when they're nefarious, I know it. Whereas women will pretend to be your best friend, right? And then stab you in the back on that. Um, yeah. And that is, you know, that's old patterning that I still feel that feeling in and like those spaces. And so for mm -hmm. me, you know, it's really been about building myself up as someone who can be coached. Um, mm -hmm. Cause that's not, <laughs> that didn't come that's naturally. hard. That's hard. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so I think that, you know, for me, like my first coach really opened the doors and showed me what was possible, which is so important, right? You have mm -hmm. to know that there's more out there and you have to be able to believe that it's attainable, not just for other people, but for you, right? Yes. That mindset leap has to be there. Then that next piece for me, I mean, I needed sales training. Like I needed sales training, um, because I didn't recognize what sales strategies I had. Like I didn't mm -hmm. see it. I didn't connect the fact that like, hello, I was a bartender. I was selling all day, every day. And like back then I just didn't know that. And so the sales training that I had with this specific coach really helped me to open my mind to conversational sales because I thought sales was PowerPoints and, you know, scripts and car salesmen, right? Like that's what yeah. like came to my head when I said the word sales. Mm -hmm. And right. so I needed a business mentor that really helped me to reshape my definition of what sales actually means. And mm -hmm. which seems stupid for as much as money as I paid for it. Right. But I paid for that thing. And then it like clicked into place where it was like, oh, this is oh. also sale. Duh. Yeah. And so it connected that past piece for me, which ultimately led me to being really good at sales because I acknowledged the fact that I already was. I just didn't know what the definition of sales was, right? Mm. So sometimes you hire a coach, you pay a whole bunch of money <laughs> to learn one tiny little thing, but that unlocks everything. Every right? door. Yes. Yes. That transformational energy. And so really, I think what kind of coaches should you hire? you should hire coaches the end, like whatever coach, it doesn't matter because you are the kind of person that gets to create your own ROI from a set of circumstances. I have bought from I, the first female coach that I bought from her program was awful. It was just absolute dog shit. It was terrible. It was the worst oh, program man. I've ever seen in my life. It was awful. But what did I learn from that? She was charging more than me at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I got in there and I learned, I was like, this person is making at the time I was I a baby, you know, I was four months into coaching, barely making any money. And she was making six figures a month. Right. She'd been mm -hmm. in it for 10 years, like all the things. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Right? Holy like, crap. I can do this 10 times better than this bitch. I'm going to raise my prices right now. <laughs> right now I'm doubling my prices. And that's yeah. so important. Like, I mean, I spent $2,000 on her course, but that $2,000, how much money did that make me in the long run just from learning that one thing? I think mm -hmm. that people get so hung up on finding like the exact right mentor. And it's like, you know, nobody's going to be everything to everybody. This is not someone that yeah. you're going to marry, right? Like yeah. get in there, get your hands dirty, take imperfect action, stop being in that space of this one or that one and do both, right? Like buy, hire both coaches and learn from their mistakes. Learn from the things that you don't like. Learning what not to do is just as important as learning what to do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. A thousand percent. Uh, definitely. Um, yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, and, and I, I have interviewed so many coaches that, uh, one said, you know, if I heard a lady that was working with clients for 10 years, if you're still with the same coach 10 years later, something's wrong with you guys, with both of you, that's a codependent relationship. You should be hiring someone at the next level 
way sooner than 10 years into this relationship. You're not being challenged if you're still with the same coach 10 years later. Right. Yeah. I mean, unless that coach is really leveling up fast, like I'm not seeing yeah. it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, even if they are like, I mean, and it's fine to stay with that one coach if you want that coach, but like get some side action going on here. You're not married to this person. You need, you need a controversial opinion to open your mind in different ways. And a different coach mm-hmm. is going to challenge you to think a different way. I mean, that's the whole point of coaching is like, I'm not here to do it for you. Right. I'm here to challenge your existing thought patterns because your existing thought patterns are not producing the results that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like my mindset coach told me this week, Amy, quit trying so hard. You, you really need to quit trying so hard. You're trying. And I'm like, I don't know how to not try only in the only thing in me is try, 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 try. Nope. Gotta <laughs> let that shit go. Yep. <laughs> I can't sit with me. <laughs> <laughs> being, being Just sit with you. Skill set. <laughs> yeah. We're learning that one. We're, we're, we're making progress. So you mentioned that your parents were truck drivers. Did you have any, um, other entrepreneurial example in your life or is this just starting with Nicole? No, no, no. My, okay. So here's, here's, I'm really Italian, like the real kind of Italian. Oh, nice. Um, I like it. Kind of Italian. My family owned the trash company. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So my grandfather, my grandfather started the trash company here in Reno, um, and built that up, but he was very like he's very mom and pop, right? Like it was that thing um, where he was an old man that looked like Santa Claus. Like literally he dressed up in nice. the Santa suit and he went to like the, the children's hospital every year. Um, and so he was very like philanthropy based business. right? Mm-hmm. So he was kind of giving everything away for free. But my mom actually purchased the um, company from her parents. Like not, they didn't give it to her. She bought it from them. So nice. she bought it from them when she was 25 and she took over the company. Um, and she turned this mom and pop operation into a real business, right? So she really grew it. She was the only, uh, the only woman who owned a trash company in the country. Um, wow. so she, I mean, and she was very young, right? Like sometimes I think about that now and I'm like, oh my God, like she's 25, she's a total baby. Yeah. And plus I can imagine. And she had two kids. Right. So it was like, she, she did all the stuff, took it on. I mean, it's incredible. My woman, my mother is an incredible woman. Right. And so she built up this company and then waste management came in and I was working for the company at the time too. I was doing accounts payable and I was, I was 15 and waste management came in and they made her an offer. They offered to buy this company from her for $50,000. My mom got up in the middle of that meeting I got up, stood up and said, fuck you. Good for her. And said, no way. Right. Walked out on that meeting. And guess what happened? Three years later, they came back because they were like, you'll, you'll never survive. Like, you'll, you'll never work in this town again. Right. Yeah. But she just went all in. She bought more equipment. She bought more trucks. She did all the things and she competed with waste management, which is the largest company in the country. Right. Yeah. She She held her ground and it was hard, but she did it. And three years later, they came back with a $5 million offer. Wow. She took that that one. (laughs) She took that one. She's like, all right, I'll let you have it. If you insist. She took that one one and retired at 39. What an incredible example, like for real. I can't imagine growing up witnessing all of that. What a, wow. What a launching pad. You said she's a current client now. Yes. What's her new adventure? (laughs) And now I'm like, now I'm leaning in. That's that lean in story. 
Right. She, um, she actually, after all of this, she went in, into her forties, um, and was very in that, like find yourself space. Right. So she was doing all of the things. It was like, this week was burlesque and next week was pole yes. dancing, and then hula hooping, whatever. She traveled all over the world. Um, my mom actually, before she turned 40, she hit all seven continents. Right. Wow. And she, she's been everywhere. Like you say, like any country, she's like, oh yeah, I've been there. Right. <laughs> like she's been nice. everywhere. And she about, I think about 10 years into that kind of find yourself journey, um, she fell into Tantra. And so she actually became like, I mean, she's like a pillar in the industry, right? Like, wow. so she, she's really well known. She's really, she has a great brand, all of the things. Um, but my, my uncle, her little brother has Down syndrome. And so she, he has been in her care since my grandparents died. And mm-hmm. so she, you know, traveling can be kind of tough with him. Um, mm-hmm. and especially like traveling for work when she had to like do it when they said, right. Not mm-hmm. on her own terms. And yeah. so, you know, and insert COVID and like this whole thing, like, I mean, that definitely put a damper on all, everything. Yeah, for sure. Everything. <laughs> Don't touch each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so she wanted to come up with like, she wanted to do an online course. And at the time, like I was just getting started in that Facebook ads course. And I was like, I'll figure this out for you. Like, I'll, I'll do this. Like, I'll figure out how to do that. And so I bought another course that taught you how to build courses. Right. Um, and so she was actually like my first client in this was that I was building the business to help her to learn how to do this. Um, and so now she has online tantra courses and, um, we're actually opening a a new one in February together that, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be kind of tag teaming of pulling in my mindset stuff with all of her Dakini training. So it's be really interesting. That's incredible. What an incredible life story. And I feel like we just barely scratched the surface and time is like already running short. I'm wow. I'm blown away. You're incredible. What a unicorn for real. (laughs) That's awesome. So tell the listeners how, if they, um, who, who is the best fit to come into your group and how they get into contact with you? Like, where are they at and where do they need to be in their journey to, to be a, you know, to get the most value from your program? So the Facebook group is called Unicorn Client Attraction Secrets for High Vibe Wonder Women. And in my mind at this point, Wonder Women is a mindset. It is not a gender bias. So all gender is welcome here. Um, but in this space, you know, you're really a great fit if you're if you're kind of unhirable. You know, if you, you kind of have that defiance in you where it's like your boss has told you what to do for the last time and you are so tired of people who are underqualified being in charge of you. <laughs> And you feel like you were meant for more, right? If you're in that space, this group will give you everything that you need, mindset strategy and actionable steps to start getting your head around what it really takes to build a successful um, entrepreneurial business where, you know, you can run everything for free on social media, right? So if you're in that space, like it's really about where you are in your mindset, not about how many clients you have, not about how much money you've made. Those things don't matter, right? Because you can scale very quickly when you have the intentionality behind you. So it's, it's the drive. It's that spark inside of you where you're just done living life on other people's terms. Like that's who this, this Facebook group is really for. That's what's up. Yeah. So if you found yourself like me many times going, why don't I run this shit? Like, why am I not in charge of this? I know I've said that about many of the contracting companies and home services companies. My husband's are in the past. Like, why am I not in charge of this shit? You need a woman in charge. You need me in charge. Yeah. That's who this is for. That's, that's the vibe for sure. I like it. I like that. Okay. Yep. So go find Nicole Hess on Facebook. Join her Facebook group. Now is it a paid Facebook group? 
No, this is the free group. This is the okay. free group and it will kind of lead you into different options just based on where you're at and like, you know, what, what you want to do with your, you know, kind of your big bad attitude and where you want to put it um, will we'll help you to kind of identify what is the best path for you. If you want to go on and continue to get some, you know, more coaching, we have that available. Awesome. So give us the name of the Facebook group one more time. It's called uh, Unicorn Client Attraction Secrets for High Vibe Wonder Woman. High Vibe Wonder Woman. All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest, Nicole. And thank you for being a queen that leads. Thanks, Amy.